0: Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and best practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy to be here on a live episode of the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. We are live. It is September something, almost the end of September 2020, and let's see what today's topic is. This is an interesting topic, given that the world is starting to emerge from the global pandemic. Travel and expense we're going to be talking about today, fondly known in the industry as TNE. TNE has been a neglected area in some organizations, even though it can, represent a major cost center tied to multiple parts of your enterprise. We're talking to our listeners around the world. The benefits of TNE transformation could be huge offering an opportunity to intelligently manage spend and what company doesn't want to intelligently manage their spend, especially now. And the workforce experience today's and in the getting into the post COVID world. Deloitte transformation leaders on my panel today, I have three and you'll be meeting them in a few minutes. We'll discuss how businesses can activate built to evolve. That's what we're about. Built to evolve T capabilities while tearing down information silos, building flexibility into your sourcing and redefining processes and culture. We'll look below the surface of traditional T&E to explore the intersection of, unless you wanna write this down, the intersection of procurement, finance, technology, the workforce and revenue focused activities such as sales. That's a lot. And that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with TE. You're going to discover today some strategies and leading practices for evolving your TE capabilities to support the kinetic enterprise. And that's the goal. I have three people, specialists, consultants, people who know this very well with me. We have Oren Gishuri today, Isaac Bowman, and David Griswold. And we're going to ask for their take on transforming. Travel and Expense for the Digital Enterprise. So welcome again, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. happy to be here. I have the privilege of being on Zoom and being able to see my panelists and enjoy them. I get to watch them think and I get to watch them talk. And uh, maybe at one future day, we will be able to stream these videos, which would be great. So let's go around the panel. Let's start off with Oren Gashiri. Oren, welcome. And why don't you spend about two and a half, three minutes telling us a little bit about what you do, what this topic means to you. Oren, welcome.
2: Thank you very much, Bonnie. I really appreciate uh, being here. I- I'm one of those, uh, I'll say slightly more rare breeds at Deloitte, where I have a liberal arts background instead of some sort of more technical type of background. And uh, after spending, you know, almost 18 years in the entertainment industry doing a variety of things, I uh, kind of, as part of that, started working in the travel and expense arena. Of course, entertainment being a unique industry full of talent. In, in other words, egos, one might say. So travel and entertainment or travel and expense became a very touchy subject for a lot of people, very sensitive. People need their particular types of uh, white glove treatment. So I got very used to navigating the travel industry and the travel industry is a very unique industry, uh, very much on the cutting edge in many ways. And uh, the expense industry as well, various expense management systems that tie into ERP systems. So after working in entertainment for a while, I went into consulting, and that brought me to Deloitte. And there are so many different facets and and evolving dynamics in this industry, uh, a really future-facing sort of subset of uh, our our economy that we we really should explore, and that's why we're here. And uh, it's a
1: very interesting topic, a lot of layers. Thank you very much, Oren. Pleasure to have you. Appreciate your interesting background. We always want to know with whom we are speaking, and that helps to engage our listeners. And this is a show where we're not reading a script, and we're not bots. We're real people. And all of my panelists have a passion for this topic, and that's why it's going to be so interesting. Thank you, Oren, for kicking this off. Let's move one seat around the virtual table to Isaac Bowman, also at Deloitte. Isaac, welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, and we'd love to hear about your background. Go ahead. Welcome,
3: Bonnie. Thank you for having me on as well. So uh, I have a slightly different background. Let me uh, share some of that piece. Uh, compared to uh, tra- uh, to the entertainment industry, I actually grew up on a farm in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and then I actually went into and got a technology degree. And what amazed me as I moved into the travel industry, and this was about 14, 15 years ago, uh, is getting to experience so many diverse situations, environments, customers, people uh, having been in a more of a small town environment, then being able to see how organizations travel, how people travel, how people interact with each other. Uh, looking at a, a multi trillion dollar industry globally, it's, it's something you get to touch and see every time you take a business trip. Right. You know, you're getting on an airplane, you're staying in a hotel, you're having a dinner with colleagues, with clients, with customers. And it's something that's really tangible. And I think what's exciting to me about my career and is being able to share those experiences with customers as they look at not just the nickels and dimes, the finances, the transactions themselves, but the experiences that travel is facilitating across the organization, right? It's, it's every time you take a customer out to dinner. It's every time you entertain your employees. Uh, it's literally every time you fly in uh, a new person to potentially become part of your organization.
1: I'm thinking as you're speaking, Isaac, oh, remembering the days when people (laughs) just hopped on planes and had dinners around a table sitting next to each other, enjoying a beverage, I'll say an adult beverage perhaps, and enjoying dinner. And I did mention in my intro that we're talking about today and post-COVID. And I know little by little, we'll have to see what actually comes back in the travel industry, but we know that it will come back in some measure. And it will be interesting to see who survives who thrives and how companies handle those expenses once it's okay to travel yeah. I'll say on mass again in big transportation so Fascinating time for this topic because industries are getting ready to come back out. I know the automotive was the factories in the U.S. The assembly lines were shut down for 45 days, and they have reemerged. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with travel. Thank you very much, Isaac. Pleasure to have you. David Griswold is waiting patiently. David, I'm yeah, just pretending fine. you're patient. I know we no, can't wait fine. to talk. <laughs> David, please introduce yourself. Yeah, no, thank you, Bonnie. I'm,
4: I'm like like my colleagues. I'm glad to be here. I guess I fall kind of in the middle between. Um, Orin and, and Isaac. I'm not from the entertainment industry. I'm an accountant by trade, so that makes me a little bit, you know, more boring than the other guys. Um, but I spent the first part of my career um, in in industry, uh, working for a golf course management company. So a little bit more recreational, I'm kind of applying the, you know, the principles of finance to something that a lot of people enjoy, sort of doing as, you know, a recreational activity. So it was neat to bridge the gap between a hobby that I have or a passion that I have and, and um, you know, actually work. So it was fun to go to work at a golf facility and get to go around the country, looking sitting in country clubs and and doing all those kinds of things. And that was sort of my first exposure to t and um, So I was more seeing the the cost of the effect of it all. Um, about 17 years ago, I got involved in consulting and the last 13 have been with Deloitte. Um, <clears throat> you know, what I do is, is predominantly see it on the other side the finance operator standpoint and so when you talk about you know travel and expense or or travel and entertainment that that cost is you know significantly high for a lot of companies and it's one that they're always trying to figure out you know where to um where to trim or how to how to manage a little bit better Um, and so you know as as you you guys have mentioned it like you know as as we start to think about maybe 2021 and what um you know organizations are going to look like and when we can get back to you know, going to see our customers face-to-face or going to work with our colleagues face-to-face and, and blending what's going to be a virtual and an in-person world, um, mm-hmm. how that uh, how that um, this line item, I guess, will, will be managed and utilized um, a little bit more effectively. So <clears throat> I, I'll try not to be the serious one on the panel here because <laughs> I'm the, you know, the accountant guy. I'm not the technical guy, but, um, you know, from a functional standpoint, I spend my time trying to help you know, CFOs and organizations, um, you know, better their operations. And and this is one of the areas where we, we, we always seem to look.
1: I want to thank you. I'm very intrigued with the backgrounds of our panelists. We never pick panelists by, okay, we'll take one from a farm and one from accountancy. And I've been told, David, that accountants, I I once had an accountant friend I asked to come on one of my early radio shows many, many years ago, and I wanted to tell some warm-up jokes with me on the show. It was just a, a talk show, a personal talk show. And he said, Bonnie, accountants don't have a sense of humor. I, I said, yeah, well, that's cousin,
4: why I switched to consulting. Cause I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, jokes I, out I of can tell you jokes, but I don't know that they're T and E related. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's it. Fascinating backgrounds on the three of you. I, I really appreciate the bios. Uh, this is how we, the audience, relates to you. Is you're you're all real people. I keep saying that because it's too interesting. I think David mentioned a blend of impersonal and vir- in person and virtual travel coming up in 2021. We hope so. This is this is a very timely topic because it's called Let's Get Ready for When. Right? Not if. Let's get ready for when. This is the part of the show. Now we're going to segue to the opening quotes. And I've asked each of my panelists, we'll do this very, very quickly because we have a lot to talk about. I've asked them to send me a quote from a movie, a book, a song of somebody famous, about to be famous because they're going to be talked about here. And uh, the quotes have hopefully nothing to do with the topic. And they're going to relate the quotes in their own words to the topic. So, Oren Gashiri has sent us a quote from Bertrand Russell. I don't know that many in our audience will know who he is. So, I'm I'm going to read a quick bio here, Oren. Bertrand Arthur William Russell. They had a lot of names in those days. The third Earl Russell, O-M-F-R-S. They had a lot of letters. 1872 to 1970 was a British. Now, this is how bios go. in the, in the the Back in the day, I want to tell all of you that people had a bunch of words after their name, not long descriptions about every job. So he was a British polymath, a philosopher, a logician, a mathematician, a historian, a writer, a social critic, a political activist, and a Nobel laureate. He happened to be put in prison for pacifism during World War I, but he also received the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1950. Here's the quote Oren has selected, it's a good one. If an opinion contrary to your own makes you angry, that is a sign that you are subconsciously aware of having no good reason for thinking as you do. <laughs> Orin. you got to help us out here. What in the world does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead, Erwin. Well, you, you know, Bertrand Russell wrote
2: that in 1950 in, in a book called Unpopular Essays. It, it was a collection of such thoughts. And in, in our social media dominated world, I feel like outrage has kind of become the de facto reaction to even the most... Uh, minor little things. People's sensibilities are are, are very uh, touchy these days. And that really applies to a lot of different things that we talk about. I mean, Bertrand Russell was, was prescient in this. In, in a, any organization, in any, any person in an organization, there is this immediate desire to uh, just hold your ground, to uh, resist Uh, thoughts contrary to your own to kind of buckle down and and, and grab your territory or keep your territory instead of simply relaxing and opening yourself to new ideas, to new thoughts, to uh, without immediately denying a thought to think about it and see if it actually might
1: impact your way of thinking. Interesting. Thank you very much. I appreciate the translation, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you. And and it's great to have quotes from people we don't usually hear about. I think this is Bertrand Russell's perhaps first time being, I'm going to say being in a, quite an absentia, obviously on a live internet radio show. Can you imagine what he would have thought if he knew how we were doing this? Let's just leave that for another time. Isaac Bowman has sent us a quote from George Orwell. The book is 1984. 1984, uh, it actually was called 1984, spelled out in letters, colon, um, a novel, often published as just 1984, 1984 is a dystopian novel by English novelist George Orwell. His real name, I didn't know this, Isaac. His real name was Eric Arthur Blair. He was born in 1903 and lived to 1950, the year that Bertrand Russell got his, his Nobel Prize. Hmm. Pen name George Orwell was an English. Here we go. Novelist, essayist, journalist, and critic. His work is characterized by lucid prose, biting social mm, social criticism, optimism, opposition to totalitarianism, and outspoken support of democratic socialism. And in 2008, the Times, I'm not sure which Times it was, the New York Times, the LA Times, just the Times, that's all that Wikipedia, But they must have been short on characters that day, ranked Orwell second among the 50 greatest British writers since 1945. And words came out of this book, uh, part of the English language, Big Brother, Thought Police, Room 101, News Speak, Double Think, Unperson, and Thought Crime. Those all came out of this writing. So here's the quote. Yes, I'm getting to it finally. <laughs> freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two makes four. If that is granted, all else follows. I think it was a poem, Isaac. So, Isaac, what do you think? How we get to this quote?
3: Well, I, actually, I don't remember when I first read the book, but I actually reread it uh, recently, about it. last year, I think it was. And that particular line just really stuck in my head and resonated because they think not only does it make a statement itself, but I think a lot of us underestimate how easy it is to actually know that two plus two equals four in the first place. So it's not just the freedom to say what we know is truth, but it's actually the freedom of being able to to actually know what the truth is in the first place. Right? Having the ability, we take it for granted that you can just Google search or search for some piece of information and find it. But uh, that's not always so easy to do. Uh, and to the topic today, uh, you know, not only is it true for our own personal lives, but truth is also sometimes hard to come to within a company's organization, right? So um, we may say, oh, sure, we have the freedom in our organization to, to say how much we spend on entertainment or how much we spend on alcohol or something to that extent. But actually knowing whether you spend that much is, is a significantly larger challenge, Right. So it's not just the freedom of being able to say it, but actually knowing what you say is true. And then also there's a lot of times internal politics within an organization, even if you know that two plus two equals four, standing up to leadership and telling them, hey, we're spending too much in this particular category or we should change our policies and not allow first class airfare. Mm -hmm. Those sorts of things in self, we don't always have the freedom or luxury to be able to stand up and say that.
1: Interesting. And I'm guessing, Isaac, from time to time, somebody looking at t and in an organization may say the numbers say two plus two equals four, but it really is two plus two equals a thousand because you're way over budget and this is <laughs> has ripple effects. I'm, I'm making this up, but I have a feeling that that's the way it goes is yeah. it, it's it's a much bigger impact expense than just on the spreadsheet right. if people use spreadsheets yeah, and anymore.
3: Agreed. Isaac, and, and even then, yeah. And even then the, most organizations are lucky if they can actually say 2 plus x equals 4 so even if even if they know or feel that they're confident about the four uh, it doesn't mean that they actually know all of the variables that added up to create the four in the first place so it's actually a lot more challenging than most people you know give it some credit
1: for the t math lesson. There we go. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Great quote. And now let's go to David Griswold. David yep. has selected a quote from the greatest Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was born. There are lots of interesting names here. Cassius Clay, Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr., 1942 to 2016, American professional boxer, activist, and philanthropist nicknamed the greatest. He's widely regarded as one of the most significant and celebrated figures of the 20th century, not just in boxing, and one of the greatest boxers of all time. Uh, His joint records of beating 21 boxers for the world heavyweight title and winning 14 unified title bouts stood for 35 years. He made an impact. In many, many, many ways, including his poetry. But this is not a not a poetic quote. David has selected the quote no. <laughs> is ser- service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. David, I like yeah. this. This is a yeah. new one to me. Talk yeah. to me. How would you find this one, David Griswold? Yeah.
4: yeah, no thanks, Bonnie. Um, you know, I, I, I'll do my best here to try and relate it to T and E, but I, I'm not exactly sure that I can. I've been thinking about that for a while, but. You know, um, in this, uh, since we've gone virtual, one of the things that I've done is um, read more. Um, I think I've probably, you know, read or audio booked at least, um, you know, more over the last seven or eight months than I have in a long, long time. And a lot of it was, you know, for under topics and people um, that I, you know, found as, as um, inspirational or, um, you know, those that can kind of guide you through life. And and Ali's one of those people. And, you know, I picked this quote. <clears throat> I picked this quote really because... Um, you know, if we look around the environment that we're living in, you know, we could all use a little bit more of Muhammad Ali in all of us. You know, service to others is something that you know we we should we shouldn't take for granted. We should be self-conscious of um, a little bit more. Um, you know, help out, help helping out people is is um, kind of the pathway you know that we can take. And and he was an example of that, living in a a time a while back back and making changes. You know, from um, a social standpoint for. A lot of reasons and a lot of things that are still happening today so you know guys like Ali you know are are people that we should all remember and look back to and and look up for um, from a you know kind of changing the world standpoint and you know that was why I picked it a little bit of a serious kind of path on it but you know it's a forum for us to this is a forum for us to be able to try and make change and you know he's one of the the people for me that that would do that now you know in terms of you know kind of relationship to to T&E you know the the service that we do pay, we all should be of, of service. You know, um, so if that means it to, you know, being able to figure out again how we help our um, how we help our customers in the work that we do. Um, it, you know, there's a, there's a lot of correlation to, um, you know, trying to be of service. And so, um, you know, that's my link to try and make it to T and E. But, you know, otherwise, it was just more of a more of a timely quote for me is top of mind for for what's happening in the world today.
1: Thank you very much, David. And by the way, I just want everybody to know that we're talking to a global audience, not just internal to any particular company. And so the words of wisdom, the thought leadership you're hearing today in the kinetic enterprise is meant to inspire, educate, and help companies all over the world tackle this area of their business better. So we are happy to be reaching a broad global audience and we do have tens of thousands of listeners. We're almost up to 50,000 listeners to the show okay, since yes. we started. So thank you very much all for picking very interesting quotes, whether they related directly to t or not, David. We appreciate the selection. Thank <laughs> you very much. It was that or much. something
4: from a Marvel movie, I guess. Like a- <laughs> oh, that <no, laughs> would have been
1: fun. Okay. Now is time of the show where we go to our Even more serious topics, uh, my panelists have each sent me four discussion statements. I'm going to pick one first from Oren, who is sitting... Oren, you're sitting at the head of the table. I hope you know that's a position of mine, but we're, <laughs> we're going to have you move around. We're going to switch the virtual head of the table to each of your co-panelists during the concept, dur- during the roundtable. So everybody will get a turn to be at head of the table. Oren, we've already discussed a lot of what you, was in your statement number one. This is the first time since 9-11 the travel industry has effectively shut down. So I'm going to go to your statement number two, and let's talk specifically about the topic. I'll read a little bit from it, Oren, and then I'm going to ask you to speak for about three minutes, expand, elaborate. As they say on the news, please unpack this for us, and then what I call the magic sauce will invite Isaac Bowman to chime in. And Isaac, I'll ask you to agree or disagree. Don't be afraid of Oren. You're allowed to disagree if you want to. And David, because you're third on this round, you will get the privilege and pleasure of agreeing or disagreeing with either or both. So, listen up, everybody. Here's the second statement Orin sent me. He says, t e Spend has traditionally been an organization's second largest area of spend after payroll. But often those same organizations view travel and expense as an afterthought in how they manage their programs. So let's get to the, the crux of this issue. Oren, please spend a couple minutes expanding for us. Go ahead. Sure, absolutely. And thanks for putting me at the head of the table. I'm
2: usually at the children's <laughs> table at Commonwealth Affairs. <laughs> but the, the thing is... Most organizations, they, they have travel managers, they have people managing these programs, and usually these people are not given the attention they deserve. These people should be the superstars of any organization. They're the ones who, you know, are, are constantly monitoring where their people are. They're getting the best deals. Uh, they're monitoring tons and tons of spend. And there are a lot of different aspects uh, that they kind of bring together. There's, you know, of course, duty of care and there's uh, spend management and a lot of other factors. And I know Isaac loves talking about the data, so I'm sure he'll bring that up. But the thing is, harnessing all of that rich data from all these different areas is kind of the challenge. And a lot of companies don't have the the means or, or really even the attention spent to adequately take the data that they're getting from these systems from where they're maintaining all this information and bringing it into uh some sort of you know uh, data cube or some sort of reporting tool to allow them to understand where everything lies yes they they might uh have broad ideas of uh, here are the big vendors here are the people i'm spending with uh you know or or perhaps uh, these are the people people who are spending more than their budget, that kind of thing. But people aren't really collating the data to modernize their program, to advance their program. They they kind of just let T&E sit where it is. And only in times of, shall we say, adversity, maybe let's look at the lens of today, mm-hmm. do they look to these areas and say, well, we're just going to cut here. We're just going to unilaterally cut here without actually digging into the data to see if this is a place ripe for cutting. Or, you know, there's there's enough studies, s- significant evidence that shows that a company that puts more effort into their travel program, into travel in general, actually there's it's not a causation, but there's a correlation between higher profitability because your salespeople are out in the world, they're doing more good. -hmm. And you know, enhancing that traveler experience, that that user experience, goes a long way. Uh, A lot of people's instinct is to pull back and tighten the travel, um, and that just makes for a grumpier employee. Uh, So there, there's a, a, it's it's a place ripe for the plucking, in my opinion.
1: We don't want grumpier employees, right? That's the last thing we haven't forbid. Isaac Bowman, I'm going to go right to you. Agree or disagree with R? And you're up. Uh, I. So many good points that aren't brought
3: up. So I guess uh, I'd have to just say broadly agree, uh, okay. but let me, let me lay, layer in on, on some of those comments. Uh, absolutely, right? So there, there is this correlation. I, and I, I think if I remember the, the statistic correctly, it's like one, well, this is <laughs> pre-COVID statistics here, but $1 in, tra- <laughs> yeah, exactly. $1 in travel spend would be correlated to about, I think it was between 10 and $13 in revenue. Right? And, and if you think about it, it's, it's because of these relationships that are conducted when people travel. They're not getting on an airplane and traveling across the country for, for, for no, no unimportant reason. right? Ah. Not only because that, that I have to invest the company's money to spend on that trip, but just as importantly, I have to invest my own personal time away from my family, away from my home, away from other non-productive things for the 8 to 16 hours I spend in transit. So for every trip, every business trip, even just getting in a car and driving across town to have dinner with someone, that that's an investment in time. So I'm, I'm making the decision that that needs to have a return on investment for my own time. And I think that uh, to Orin's point, uh, companies that better understand that relationship, the data, those interactions are able to then make surgical decisions on where they cut money as opposed to a blanket decision that says, oh, everyone in this business group or everyone in this region is going to suddenly have to change or stop traveling.
1: Thank you, David Griswold. Join us. Agree or disagree with either of both? We've got a broad agreement so far from Isaac. What do you think, David?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to agree with the guys and and just add a, a couple of commentaries too. Is is um, and I think it's I'm probably saying the same thing, maybe using different words than than what Oren and Isaac were saying. Is you know, there's a lot of discretion used um, in in the travel line item, right? And um, historically, the way companies have, right. or you know, the way that that companies have managed this area is, you know, what did we do last year? Like we think that's what we're going to spend this year. You know, maybe we give it a, a super, a, a little bit of a bump and, you know, kind of plan for it um, on a superficial level, knowing that you're going to send people out into the field to do things and you, you're going to have X amount to spend and it becomes discretionary. So if you're hitting your numbers, maybe you can dial back a little bit more. If you're below your numbers, you dial it up a little bit more. Um, so you try and, and correlate, you know, where you, where you use the money, um, you know, to, to do what Isaac said is have a direct, you know, kind of payback. Um, to the investment that you're making. I do think that um, as an operator like the uh, the availability of data is allowing that to be um, allowing you know companies and, and finance organizations to be a little bit more or have a little bit more of scrutiny and be more surgical like like Isaac mentioned and it'll be interesting to see what happens kind of you know next year when we have you know nine or ten or twelve months worth of no travel and, um, you know, revenue numbers are where they are and being able to draw those correlations so that when we do open, you know, when things do fully open up and people are making plans for things, um, you know, where, where it is, you can be a lot more smarter about where you want to spend those funds and invest that money. So I agree with the guys. I think that, um, you know, the, the, uh, the advent of data. And just the access to it, whether it's through, you know, digital tools or kind of, you know, advanced um, ERP type solutions and just getting more information, you know, becomes is data makes po- data is powerful. And so being able to stick to those facts, I think, is, is making the, um, the decisions that people can make, especially in the finance world, um, a little, you know, fact based versus just guesses and, and kind of been in the guesswork over, the, you know, as, as sort of historical
1: playmen. Thank you very much. Oren, this was your conversation starter. Good one to start us off. Oren, anything you want to say back to them?
2: Just that companies would do well, once you've harnessed the data, to listen to the advocate for that data, who is your travel manager, your travel director. They they are in that position for a reason and you should give them uh, the credit that they are due.
1: Very nicely put, thank you very much. And let's go to statement number two from Isaac Bowman next. Isaac, let me read a little bit of that. I think there's a perfect place to dive into what we're really, really, really talking about. You say T and E at its core is two very different organizations. Travel, which is the T, is typically procurement and operations focused. E for expense is driven by a finance and audit approach. Not only are the tools often different, but the culture mindset and many times the metrics and goals are not aligned commonly between the two groups. Oh, is there a battle going on? We often talk about the battle between sales and marketing. Who's on top? Who's more important? Who's getting the job done? Who's raking in the revenues? But what about these two teams? So let's talk to you, Isaac Bowman. Want you lead this one? And then we'll see what David you'll be next, next okay. to Isaac. And then Oren, he'll be in third, third seat around the table. So Isaac, you're up.
3: I'm so happy you asked this question next because as (laughs) Oren was asking or making his comments to the last statement, I thought, oh, this is is the perfect Um, follow-up. I think sometimes for a person that's in the industry, Oren, David, and I, we're well aware, right? But for those that maybe have a little higher or outside view, they may take it for granted that T and E because it's smashed together is one thing. Uh, in reality, it's not right. So it, this goes back to kind of Oren's statements earlier about the, you know, the importance of having the right stakeholders. So if I can extrapolate on that, um, travel very much is procurement, right? It's also it's very operational. It's it's the logistics of moving people, right, all across the world, all of that sort of thing. So it's not just hey, I I have an airline contract. I want to make sure the airline contract is is confirmed it's also i have 10,000 people in the air in airplanes or in hotel rooms around the world and i have to manage those people's logistics and travel plans right uh, on the flip side you have you know uh, to to david's point earlier about being an accountant right the other side of the table is finance and uh, finance people auditors all of these other personality types and as you try to tell that story of not just the process that runs through the company for managing travel and expense, but the data itself. Each of these individual stakeholders have different backgrounds, different personality types. Uh, quite often, you know, one group has a business incentive to do the exact opposite of what the other group does. And so an intelligent organization doesn't try to pit those two against themselves, and they actually recognize that travel and expense has a stakeholder for HR for compliance, for tax, right? And it's about trying to bring all these groups together, the business processes together, and even the technology. So that way, when we're looking at data, the HR department is looking at the same kind of data associated to, say, uh, the fringe benefits of going to a gym membership, right, versus the finance group looking at a different set of data for spend management.
1: Thank you. Very interesting. I, I had a feeling it was a good time to to talk to these, the differences between the groups. And I'm so glad, Isaac, in the comments, you put mindset and tools as being part of the the differentials. So, David Griswold, a yep. lot to agree or disagree yeah. with. You're up. Yeah. Talk to me. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I think fundamentally I
4: agree. And uh, my I guess my perspective on kind of the question when I was reading it and thinking about it is it really depends on where you sit. Um, and you know, for, for myself and, and I, I totally relate to this. Like I know, you know, for me, T is going on to, uh, my travel system and booking the flight that I want and, you know, the hotel that I want to stay in and then just going to the airport and kind of getting there and, you know, filing mm-hmm. is downloading and uploading it and just sort of pushing it through. Like the onus on me as, as, you know, the person experiencing the travel and kind of doing it is making sure that I do it. I I I record that, and 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 public or not publish it, but like you know, submit my expenses on a timely basis because that way I'm not just holding things back and pushing things through. Like I don't really, I haven't really thought about it until you know Isaac really articulated it well about you know the logistics of moving people around. I never really thought about it that way. Um, you know, I get that you know there's the travel component, which is sort of setting up the arrangements and making sure that. You know there is the capability that I just mentioned, so that it's seamless for me as a user who needs to go somewhere um, to just like pick the flights that I want and have the affinity programs and get the points from the hotels. And you know that's where, as a as a functional user, kind of I'm thinking about teeny as a whole. Um, you know, on the the expensing component is really being able to you know follow the policies and the guidelines. And 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 I think fundamentally one of the things that challenges you know, um, companies and and different organizations globally is what, what do we use in order to do that? And, you know, there's different rules and regulations depending on the part of the world that you're in, you know, there isn't a global card that everybody uses so that you have multiple like inflows of data. You have some people that are using their own personal stuff and they submit it. You know, there's a lot of the kludgees kind of, um, you know, data flow on the entry point for that from the expense and angle. And so, to me, I think that's where, you know, you, you it depends on kind of where you sit. You know, if you're the one who has to monitor and, and manage and sort of understand where everybody is, um, that's one thing. If you need to be the guy or the people that are setting up the capability in order to do that, that's sort of another lens. And then there's likely even a third lens, right? Guys is is the the ones underlying who have to sort of bring all that stuff together from whether it's technology or process or you know, kind of all the different disciplines that need to be part of that, uh, you know, that process to make sure that, you know, people know what to do. So I guess overall, I agree. Um, I, I do think it depends on kind of where you are in your company as to what's most important.
1: Interesting. Uh, I mentioned in Orwell's bio that he one of the phrases he is has introduced or introduced was the thought police. Maybe Ooh. perhaps David's talking about the travel police. We'll just yeah. leave it right there. Okay, yeah. the T and E travel police, the internal organizational police. Orin Gashuri, we'd love to hear your comments on what Isaac shared and or what David said. Orin,
2: oh, absolutely. Thanks. So I think the piece that you know we've kind of talked around. We've mentioned it a little bit is this new uh, very strong element of risk management that is now a bigger voice in the room right and uh, in in covid times where when at least currently in a pre-vaccine world we are sending people out in a risky world and not to mention by the way the various uh, extreme climate events that are happening uh, in a variety of places around the world so this is going to be a bigger voice in that conversation. And let me just add, with all of the different voices in the conversation, you know, I hate to say it, but some corporations, some organizations have a little bit of communication dysfunction, you know, and a lot of times you're sitting around a table and you have a legal person and a, an IT person and an accounting person, and they're all kind of just speaking at cross purposes. So, as, as a consultant, actually, one of our biggest jobs is to come in, and I, I actually call myself a corporate therapist. I come mm-hmm. in, and I sit around the table, and I say, tell me about your feelings, kind of in, in a way, and, <laughs> and, and have people kind of come to an agreement, uh, to a central point. Uh, so all of that is to say, you know, the, there are uh, so many different groups represented in this T&E uh, sort of space. And... Everyone has a valuable voice. Some voices stronger than others as times change, but everyone has valid points to make. And we need to kind of bridge all those different opinions uh, for for our program, you know, for your program.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. And I was talking to some some people the other day, it might have been on our prep call about I'd love to do a show about. Uh, the changing of the guard at the C-suite table. And you mentioned chief therapy officer, and that's a new definition of CTO, chief technology officer, chief therapy officer. Some companies have a chief happiness officer. That's true. Uh, that's true. Right. People officer, yeah. There there you go. There you go. Thank you very much. Isaac, this was your topic. Anything you briefly want to say back to either of them, Isaac Bowman?
3: Um. No, I think everyone touched on it quite well, right? There's just this diversity of, of people that are involved, diversity of stakeholders involved. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to recognize that um, to be able to get the most out of our travel programs, it, it, to Warren's to point, we have to bring all those personality types together, uh, make those alignments. Uh, so it's the people, it's the business processes between them. And then, you know, ultimately then the, the, the truth is in the data to make sure that all of that's working properly.
1: Thank you very much. We've talked about the definitions of T&E. We're talking a little bit about the mindset, the different departments trying to bring it all together in a good way, despite COVID shutting down. It's going to be an interesting 2021 to see what they're comparing it to, right? When did corporate travel stop? What was the balance? What was the sheet for 2020 compared to ramping up in 2021? But let's go, David Griswold. I'd like to go and hone in on transformation. I'm looking at your statement number four. I'm just going to read the first sentence and the last sentence, and I'm going to ask you to expand it. I think this is a good place to take the conversation now. So David Griswold told me before the show, he said, driving transformation through enabling technology, we like to talk about enabling technology a lot, creates the most value when it's used to drive standardization across functions that have significant process variations like the T&E processes, which we just explained. But here's the kicker I want you to talk about, David. David advises advises, suggests, recommends, okay, don't underestimate the value that can be driven from creating global standard processes when implementing new, more advanced, and digitally enabled tools. David, speak to this, please. Very interesting. Go ahead. Yeah,
4: no, thanks. Thanks, uh, Bonnie. So, I guess, like, you know, we have talked a bit about, like, where sort of things come from, and you know, one of the things that, you know, you mentioned or, or that we were talking about, you know, earlier around, you know, transformation and, and enabling tools and things of that nature is, um, and that, that we run across a lot and people run across a lot when they're trying to do this. You know, fundamentally, transformation is hard. Um, transformation of process, transformation of technology, changing culture, um, all of those things combined together are, are challenging for a lot of organizations. And I think one of the things that, you know, we we try and explain and and one of the things that, you know, I've learned sort of in my experience has been um, as a process guy is, you know, when you when you break it down to it, um, if you just replicate an already broken process or if you just replicate, you know, what you have currently, you know, the old adage of garbage in, garbage out is going to happen. And with the, you know, with the capabilities that are just um, available through technology, whether it be. SAP HANA or Oracle Cloud, you know RPA, uh, blockchain, you know all the digital, uh, natural language generation, you know cognitive tools, kind of all the all these these new advanced components. Um, what you need to do is actually you know invest the time to um, you know put pencil to paper and and draw out you know and I, it's kind of an old school reference, but draw out like swim lane process maps. And if you look at travel and enter, you know travel and entertainment or T&E you know or travel and expense. You know if you look at the teeny process, you know, historically there's um, the way companies have grown have been through acquisition, you know, starting new divisions, things of that nature. And the processes, at least in, in the teeny space, are just absorbed. They're not changed. Um, you know, you just continue those people continue to do what they typically have done. And what that results in is this spider web of, you know, orange, you know, from Division A, and he lives in Europe, and he's got one tool and one um, card that he uses for things. Um, Isaac's in Asia, and he uses his own personal card and submits stuff when he wants. And David's in North America and has corporate Amex and has a bunch of rigor, and all that sort of turns into a, you know, a mess at the end of the day to try and figure out. And so being able to invest time in looking at you know, how can we make a global standard pro- program to the extent that we can and let global standardization drive um, the the technology? Don't let the technology drive the process, but let the process drive what you need in technology and set a global standard and let the exceptions be true exceptions, not drive the rules. And so you'd be surprised the, the amount of um, value that can be created by by doing that, because there's a ton of people that are involved in this process, it's significantly manual. You know, if you're if you're putting in the tools, then, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunity to not just take cost out of the effort in terms of how hard it is to, to get through um, and, and execute, but also on the back end, make it a little bit easier to interpret and analyze and do all the data stuff we were talking about, you know, 15 or 20 minutes ago.
1: Thank you very much. Good, This will be our final statement around the table, and then we'll go to predictions. Oren Gashuri, love to get your POV on what David just shared. What do you think about transformation, digital enablement? What do you think about standardization? Oh, my goodness. Oren, talk, please
2: yeah so <laughs> david was was speaking the ms if I can put a little Yiddish cut in here the truth <laughs> there there's there's so much goodness in there the The thing is that the travel industry is is a study in contrasts. It is a uh, you know an industry that is very future looking in some aspects to technology but its core is based on this 12 or 16 bit technology that was developed in the 60s you know for booking transactions booking airfare and that is uh, probably the biggest uh, sort of future issue the su- future sustainability of that particular technology and there are so many great things coming into light. The International Air Transport Association, IATA, has a lot of initiatives to enable rich rich web content uh, to create single one orders where all of a person's data is consolidated uh, in, in one record. We have blockchain innovating uh, to keep data secure. Um, you know, with GDPR, and you know the CCPA the California Consumer Privacy Act GDPR being the General Data Protection Regulation there is the need to protect data more and these technologies like blockchain are there are so many companies developing these great tools for the tribal industry specifically for smart contracts for digitized passport or ID oh. encryption things like that it is an industry on the precipice of true technological greatness if we can make it happen and you know we've had a little stymies uh, stymieing actions right now we're in this period where we took a few steps back you know uh, Ed Bashton, who is the the CEO of Delta, he actually said he does not think that there will that the business travel will ever go back to the way it was. Yeah. that we will never reach that former uh, sort of uh, glory, so to speak. But that just means we'll have a new glory, right? Well, there will be some mm-hmm. new uh, iteration of it that, in my opinion, will be driven by that core technological transformation that we have to go through in order to make this a sustainable. And I say sustainable on a couple of levels, not just future proofing, but also ecologically sustainable mm-hmm. uh, for for business travel in the future.
1: Interesting. Oren, I love when you said the new glory, because the only terms we really been bandying about in the past six months have been new normal, next normal. I call it the new abnormal. <laughs> but new glory, that's the the most optimistic phrase I have heard from anybody I've spoken to. So, Oren, thank you. We're going to, can we copyright that? <laughs> Oren Gashuri, the new glory. I love it. It almost feels like a religious moment. Let's go to Isaac Bowman and wrap up this topic. We're almost ready for our crystal ball predictions. Isaac, what do you think about what David said and or we're talking transformation, digital enablement, we're talking all kinds of interesting things. So, Isaac, talk please.
3: Well, I've been waiting all morning to say something where I get to disagree, but these guys aren't giving. Like they're not giving me much opportunity to work with here, so <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. Okay, I I, I continue to agree with my colleagues, uh, but let me pivot it on on another aspect. So to me, digital transformation, right? What that means is having the agility for an organization to to respond. Right. Uh, so to all the points David mentioned, right? It's it's an end-to-end process. It's standardization, streamline, perfect, right? But it, it's not about reducing workforce. It's about being able to respond, have the agility to respond in a digital fashion, right? Because if it's not digital, then I got to go find the paperwork. I got to go change the process. I got to erase the chalkboard, right? But with a digital environment. I have the ability that every time the IRS changes their tax rules, okay, I have one system, one lever to flip, one switch to do, and the data already validates what I did five minutes later, right? But if we look at the environment we're in today, right, with, with the COVID, with pandemic, with a shutdown in travel, it's the it's the leaders that have already digitized not just one business unit, but their entire global operation of travel and expense, Right? It's those leaders that are going to come out and accelerate their way through COVID. Because a lot of the things that we're seeing in COVID aren't because of COVID. This was workforce transformation from a decade ago. Right, The idea of working more remotely, the idea of maybe not traveling so much, Workforce diversification. These were all trends that were already happening. And all COVID did is just put fuel on the fire and say, okay, let's just ramp this acceleration up even faster. And the companies that thought they had 10 more years to deal with digital transformation, uh, they're going to struggle coming out of this next year, whereas the other organizations are already going to leapfrog them.
1: Great point there, Isaac. Great point. Um, We talk about this on many of my radio shows, my game changer shows, The companies that dare to either dip their toe in the water of transformation or digitalization or digitization, whichever word you prefer, companies that took that leap of faith or made that investment in good faith and wholeheartedly a couple of years ago, even last year, were better able to pivot, to reopen, to rethink, to be fluid, to say, hey, we can take that assembly line and turn it into something else. Hey, we can take our business that was a product to turn it into a product as a service, and they're going to be the ones who are successful. So thank you for mentioning that. We are deep already into our crystal ball predictions round. So let's get started. 60 seconds each. No politics, please, gentlemen. And let's look at where is this topic going? Anything to do with T&E? Oren Gishuri, you're up first. 60 seconds. What do you see in that crystal ball? Go, Orin.
2: So there are so many great technologies that are being developed by some very exciting companies out there, startup companies, et cetera. And I, I believe that within the next few months or the next year, we are going to see w- within the T&E industry, a game-changing technology that is going to help drive uh, a, a little bit more privacy, uh, but uh, expanding utilization or expanding how we use our, our current tools, our phones, our, our devices uh, to make travel overall a more enjoyable experience. One thing that's happened for travel over the past few decades is that it has become unenjoyable. We're going to see a new golden age of enjoyable travel.
1: If only. Wouldn't that be nice? Thank you very much. I just travel from the seat of Zoom, so this is fine for me, but for those of you who have to travel for business, I am hoping Oren is right. Isaac Bowman, 60 seconds. What do you see in the crystal ball? Go!
3: So, uh, for me, I see... First and foremost, with this COVID environment, organizations are going to start to redefine work-life balance. In the past, it was just kind of a statement. Oh, we believe in work-life balance, but we want you to be on the road (laughs) 24-7, even if there's not a direct ROI for the trip that you're taking, because it's just expected. So I think we're going to pivot our expectations of what it really means for an ROI of a business trip and and equate that to work-life balance from a talent and retention perspective. And then if I look at the the crystal ball a little further in the future, I think the last 10 years, we've seen a consolidation of accounts payable and source to pay into centers of excellence or shared service models. And I think that's going to continue to compress so that now those that are typically siloed travel and expense will get consolidated and merged into single factories, right? So single centers of excellence that brings everything that's dynamic about procurement, invoices, travel, expenses, all into one organizational group.
1: Thank you. If only I'll say that again. David Griswold, you get the final yeah. word on the crystal ball. Sixty? I give you ninety seconds. Yeah, no, that's okay. I, I don't know.
4: I, I, <laughs> I, so I would say, I would say, um, I mean, prediction for me is I think that um, it's kind of along the lines that that Orrin was speaking about. You know, this this pause or this like delayed period um, is almost like an incubation period for uh, new technology and the way that. Tools and um, you know, look how many different versions of iPhones we ha- have had over the, the the last handful of years. Comparative to how how quickly things come out, so I think this that 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 uh, you know, prediction for me is there will be some new form of uh, being able to you know use whatever it is your your phone, your Alexa's, your whatever um, to to advent in this it, it, even more within this space um to make it you know less evasive and easier as a user um i also think yeah i i i'm going to predict i guess like things around like the the logistics of going like getting to the airport um getting from the mm. airport to places yep. uh, there's going to be some sort of change in in that in in that world i don't exactly know what it is but I know the next time I go to the airport to get on a plane, I feel like it's going to be different for me, particularly in, you know, in the coming year, whether it's hangover from, from what we're experiencing with COVID, if it's a faster way to get through, um, you know, the, the cycle and, and the things of that nature. So I think I feel like it's going to be kind of a, uh, you know, a new app um, in a way. Some, some genius is going to come up with something that, that makes it easier for, for me to get to where I'm going.
1: Thank new you, David. App. I predict we're going to have a Jetson type of uh, drone heliport on every roof and you won't have to go to one. I have friends who complain about getting back and forth to airports. They don't mind the air travel. It's just the the schlep and the waiting and all that. We're going to have our own little pods. Go start looking at future stuff. It's a great time for the travel industry to Think and rethink and think ahead. Think about that. Now that they're not flying and not transporting, it's their golden, glorious opportunity, Orin, to think about redoing it and doing it better when the time comes and reinventing. I'm just gonna stop pontificating and stop there. Exactly. I wanna do a special thanks to Malia Aguilar, who's been a wonderful supporter of this series since its inception early in 2020. Malia. Pleasure working with you. We wish you all the best. And I want to welcome, I hope I say his name right, Igoza Obak Pilar, based in London, who will now be the new... Episode manager working with me, and I'm looking forward to working with you, Igos. And thank you always to Carla Neal at Deloitte and to Helen Tomas and all the other wonderful people who put together these topics and these shows. And thank you to my esteemed panelists. I am so indebted to the three of you for being so engaging and compelling and just so darn smart. Oren <laughs> Gishuri at Deloitte, thank you. And Thank l- you l- so much. Lashana Tova l- to you. Lashana Tova. Thank you, Isaac Bowman. It's the start of the Jewish New Year tonight at Sundown. Isaac Bowman, a pleasure. And did you wear your Deloitte hat today? What can I say? I thought you wear the hat with the Deloitte on the front. <laughs> It's,
3: they, it's on a rotation. It's on rotation. It, oh, thank
1: you. And we didn't rotate on that. And David Griswold, you're sitting in a beautiful forest. Uh, it looks like a a garden somewhere, it's and we're the, happy It's that, Augusta.
4: It's the. It's beautiful. Amen, It's beautiful. It's beautiful.
1: <laughs> Everybody, wave goodbye and thank you to Aaron, our thank engineer you. extraordinaire, my sidekick at Voice America World Talk Radio, Aaron Keller. Thank you. Everybody, wave goodbye. Bye from the, Kinetic Enterprise presented by Deloitte. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Be safe. Be smart. Be savvy. Be well. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to The Kinetic Enterprise, Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.